Good afternoon. So I'm going to present the uh, 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 our subject for the um, practice period. I mean for the <laughs> for the session um, that we're going to be uh, talking about, and uh, um, what has been chosen is. Uh, something called the five controlling factors of <coughs> of something of our mind, <laughs> of our practice. Um, uh, the controlling factors. Um, there are actually more controlling factors, but these five are uh, a set which uh, characterizes the basic. Um, practices that we, um, the ba basic um, uh, supports for our practice. And uh, controlling, they're called the five um, uh, indrias. Indria, you know, is, means um, controller, uh, which comes from the Indian, uh, uh, the king of the gods, the uh, Controller of the of the pantheon of the Hindu pantheon, who was Indra, and since Indra was the controller, um, they call these the controlling factors. They're also called the balhas, which means powers. When the uh, the controlling factors are well established through practice, then they're called powers. Um, they can't be turned around easily. And they're not controlled by their opposites. So these are the five factors. The first one is, we've been talking about this a little bit, faith. Um, energy, um, which I like to think of as effort, because energy is um, it's not something that you control. Effort is, comes from you. So that's the most important aspect is our effort. Uh, our energy is not really up to us, except we should take good care of ourselves, and then we have good energy, <laughs> hopefully. And um, the third one is mindfulness. The fourth one is um, concentration, which uh, uh, translates as um, samadhi. We can talk about what samadhi is. The fifth one is called wisdom, which um, uh, is a little different in uh, the Mahayana and, and the uh, uh, Vipassana attitudes, I think, but maybe not. Uh, so I'm going to talk about, I've been chosen to do this, to talk about faith, mindfulness, and wisdom. And um, so I get the, the lion's share of the talking. Sorry about that. <laughs> so um, what is faith? Faith is a uh, uh, big subject. Some people, you know, when, uh, often people come to Buddhism because they're, they are suspicious of faith. <laughs> Sorry, but <laughs> you landed in the land of faith. <laughs> uh, without faith, there's no practice. 
faith is the big is is like it's impossible to practice without it. You may not think you have it, but you do. Um, so usually we think of faith as a belief in something. And if you were brought up in certain um, uh, religious um, faiths <laughs> or religious practices, you were forced to believe something. Right? And you, so you revolted or uh, <laughs> you ran away. Um, so, but faith cannot come, you can't coerce faith. Faith comes from inside. It's not stuck on you. You can't force it. Um, and it's also not necessarily um, grace, because grace comes from a deity. So in Buddhism, what is faith? So we have various synonyms, trust, confidence, um, conviction, devotion, and blindness. Actually, I think blindness is the, is the uh, true faith. We have all these reasons, you know, reasonable faith. Reasonable, <laughs> reasonable faith is like um, trust, confidence, um, conviction, devotion. But blind faith has no reason. Intuition is really important, you know. Uh, in Zen, intu it's all about intuition. Intuition means, for a definition, it means uh, directly touching without going through the process of thinking, without having to go through the process of the thinking mind. It leaps over the thinking mind and directly touches. So you know something. You just know. It's not a hunch. Sometimes we confuse intuition with a hunch. I, but that's not intuition. Intuition is directly knowing. Um, without a doubt. So, uh, if we have enlightenment, and re there's enlightenment and then there's realization. Enlightenment is our nature. Realization is our experience or understanding. So, if we have realization, then faith, of course, is realization. So, faith and, and in enlightenment, so to speak, um, uh, is the same thing. So, uh, enlightenment is what brings us to practice. We don't, we don't come to practice, we do come to practice through curiosity, sort of, or for various reasons, who knows what reasons, but there are various reasons that we come to practice. <coughs> curiosity being one of them. Um, but it's our enlightened mind that brings us to practice. Otherwise, why would we do it? So, as soon as we start to practice, enlightenment ignites, 
so to speak. Enlightenment brings us to practice and realization confirms, um, and practice confirms through realization. <clears throat> and then faith comes forward because faith is inherent in us. Just like enlightenment is inherent in us. There are two, you know, some, there are two aspects or two ways of thinking about enlightenment. One is that enlightenment is acquired and the other is that enlightenment is um, inherent. So acquired enlightenment is like if you practice step by step from delusion to enlightenment, at some point you will be enlightened. Um, <coughs> that's called um, doctrinal faith. Step by step, just like going to school, you know. And there are many practices that, where people go to school to um, uh, step by step learn to be enlightened. Uh, ancestral faith is like, it's not belief in the ancestors, it's uh, following the ancestors' way of practice which is called sudden enlightenment because it's inherent in us. So we can't really get anything. There's nothing to acquire. That's why practice is called um, no gaining mind. My teacher always talked about no gaining mind. This is the uh, uh, Soto Zen. There's nothing to acquire. If, you can, if there's something that you don't already have, you won't get it. <laughs> <laughs> and if you shake, you shake the tree, you know, everything that falls off is not yours. <laughs> so what do you really have? What is our natural endowment that uh, we can trust? What do we really trust? You know, there's nothing uh, in this, this world where there is no foundation for anything, even though we talk about foundations. The house has the foundation, you know, but it won't last. It's just a temporary foundation. So there are temporary foundations, but there's no solid foundation. People are, nowadays are talking about, do you think civilization will last very long? Seriously, people think that way, and we can't help thinking that way. But people have always thought that way. <laughs> we just keep uh, changing our equipment, as my old teacher used to say. But everything stays the same. No matter how new everything is, it all stays the same. We're the same people as the, sa as the people were thousands of years ago, just doing the same thing over and over. We don't live long enough to be wise enough to actually um, change things. So it just goes on and on. The good and the bad, the right and the wrong. Where's the place where we find our freedom? Where's the place where we actually find our uh, security in a 
insecure world. So that's faith. Where does that come from? And how do you get it? And how, how do you bring it forth? So um, I'm just looking at my notes here because I don't want to miss anything. Um, uh, so practicing these five factors, um, each one uh, contains the others. This is always the truth. And whenever you study anything, in any number of, uh, any uh, uh, study that has a number of factors, each one always contains all the rest. But this one is the feature. So we put that one up and say, this is faith. And so how do all the other factors factor in to faith to support it and to make it work and to, and so forth. So each one of these factors has to have the other factors to support it. Otherwise, each one becomes too predominant by itself. Nowadays, as an example, um, mindfulness has become an independent uh, factor. Uh, a uh, um, secular term, right? And so there's this controversy. Uh, Gil says it's not so important, but maybe. <laughs> Some people do. But anyway, it's become a, uh, an independent faculty, secular faculty. It doesn't have anything to do with Buddhism or faith or anything else. So this is a, like when the, unless the, the factor is supported by the other factors, it becomes like, a loose cannon, or um, too predominant, too, uh, uh, and it needs the others to keep it in check, so that it works. It, it's a, a harmonious whole, and one of the factors gets too far out, then uh, uh, it becomes uh, uh, uncontrolled. Like if you take uh, knowledge or wisdom. Wisdom has various meanings, but, um, uh, and it becomes uncontrolled, then it can easily lead to uh, cunning because it's associated with intelligence. And when intelligence becomes too um, uh, uncontrolled, it, it leads to cunning. And uh, it needs to have a heart. When the heart is missing, the, um, the brain or the mind, the brain um, becomes um, avaricious. So, um, yes? Avaricious? Well, you know, wants too much. Oh, okay. <laughs> wants to have, you know, everything. Like, as we see today. Um, so, uh, and powerful, too powerful. So, um, wisdom has to be controlled by faith. Faith and wisdom are, balance each other out. 
And then faith has to be controlled by doubt. Doubt is a really important part of uh, faith because faith is like innocent, you know. Faith is like um, belief and, and uh, 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 it energizes you and it's um, a positive attitude, but it can also be easily misled. You know, it's like a young person who um, gets, has wonderful uh, feeling of freedom and doesn't know how to control. It's, it doesn't know how to control himself or herself. And so doubt is, it's like an airplane. I like to think of it, this airplane is you know, flying along in the sky with total freedom. The engine is faith and it just moves, you know, the plane through the sky. The tail is doubt. The, the tail gives direction to faith. So you have the rudder and the, and the ailerons and all that. <laughs> and then you can control for you say, well, let's go this way. Don't go that way. Don't just go. Go someplace with, where you know you, you're going to um, wind up in the right place. So faith needs control, needs to have doubt. And um, so doubt is very important. So there are um, uh, two types of people, faith types and doubt types. Uh, Rinzai Zen is characterized sometimes as doubt types. Um, Master Rinzai and Hakuin, the Japanese um, uh, uh, patriarch, uh, the Rinzai patriarch, who was um, developed the koan system in Japan, and uh, you know uh, he was a doubt type, and he needed. Um, uh, to have these extravagant experiences of awakening. Um, doubt types tend to um, need to have um, big experiences. And when you read the literature, like from D.T. Suzuki, he always is talking about these doubt types. He doesn't say that, but, you know, who have great, they have great doubt and their great doubt explodes into great faith. That's great. <laughs> Faith types are like Dogen and Suzuki Roshi. They have, they, you know, it's, it's, what's the problem? You know, <laughs> of course, you know, of course we have faith, you know, why doubt that? So these are the two sides, the two types. Uh, and we belong to maybe something in between, you know, but, uh, I'm sure that right in this room we have faith types and doubt types. You gotta prove it to me first, you know. And the others say, what's the problem? <laughs> so, um, you know, we say faith without understanding equals ignorance. And understanding without faith um, leads to distorted views so everything needs its counterpart. All these qualities need their counterparts. 
Um, uh, <clears throat> faith uh, needs energy or effort. Um, when we enter practice, you know, we say practice, enlightenment is right there the moment we enter practice, but you don't realize that it's enlightenment. Um, but the practice stimulates enlightenment, and enlightenment um, is what it helps you to continue to practice. And the effort is what's necessary. Practice is called effort. As I was talking about this morning, effort and ease, the balance of effort and ease. So when you first enter practice, you have to stretch yourself completely. I mean, you know, some people practice by listening to talks, you know. Some people practice by sometimes sitting. What I mean by practice is throwing yourself into uh, everyday practice with a teacher and with a sangha. You have to stretch yourself completely um, and throw all your effort into it wholeheartedly. When you do that, you run up against uh, various problems, and the problems are your practice. So, uh, but once you start, once you, I remember when I um, was starting to practice with Suzuki Roshi, and it was how painful Zazen was. It was really, you know, because we were always sitting without moving, and uh, he was a very gentle man, you know, Suzuki Roshi, very gentle man, but he had a way of uh, wh what he would do is he'd have everybody sit in the lotus position. This is when he first came. And then he um, would walk out of the room. He'd ring the bell and then walk out of the room. And everybody's sitting there. When is he going to come back? When is he going to come back? <laughs> and then he'd come back an hour later and he'd shuffle some papers or something, he'd say, oh, he's back, he's going to ring the bell. And then he'd walk out again. <laughs> <laughs> so he would <laughs> you know, give you this problem. Uh, and when you don't know whether you can stay or, or not, when you don't know whether to, you, you can't leave and you can't stay, and this is the place where your koan is, exists. And where faith leaps out. I'm going to read you a um, koan. This is from Master Muman's koan. <laughs> Master Muman's collection of koans called the Muman Khan. <clears throat> this is called um, uh, Kyogen's Man Up a Tree. You may know this koan, I don't know. The priest um, Kyogen said, It is as though you were up in a tree, hanging from a branch with your teeth. 
Your hands and feet can't touch any branch. Someone appears beneath the tree and asks, what is the meaning of Bodhidharma's coming from the West? <laughs> if you do not answer, you evade your responsibility. If you do answer, you lose your life. What will you do? So that's a little funny, isn't it? I mean, you're hanging by your teeth and somebody comes. Can you imagine? Oh, there's a guy hanging by his teeth. Hey, why did Bodhidharma come from the West? <laughs> anyway, a little crazy, but what would you do? That's the koan, actually, that we have to come to in our practice. So, Master Muman comments and he says, even if your eloquence flows like a river, it is all in vain. Even if you can expound cogently upon the whole body of Buddhist literature, that too is useless. You can't count on anything. If you can respond to this dilemma properly, you give life to those who have been dead and kill those who have been alive. If you can't respond, you must wait and ask Maitreya about it. Maitreya will come in 50,000 kalpas, you know, to reform the world. <laughs> He's the Buddha of the future. So you can't wait for him. He'll solve your problem, but you can't wait that long. So, uh, Master, um, someone else, some commentator, said, this koan is like, how do you give how do you give up your life? How do you let go of uh, your life to the universe? How do you entrust your life to the universe? How do you entrust your life to Buddha? That's one way of saying it. Uh, how do you entrust your life to God is another way of saying it. Sometimes we use the term God. In Buddhism, we hate to use that term, you know, God. But we, it's okay. You can use that term as long as you don't know what it means. <laughs> uh, we're free to use any term we want as long as we don't assign a meaning, a definite meaning to it. <clears throat> um, this is what my teacher was teaching. This is, um, he always put us in a position, gentle as he was, he always put us in a position uh, to find our way by going through the wall instead of going around it. You know, when you get to a certain place, this is human problem. We get to a place and then we find a wall. And then, well, okay, we go around the wall, but actually you can go through the wall. And it turns out that the wall is just a piece of paper. But it looks like a wall painted on a piece of paper. It's simply, simply giving up. 
letting go and giving up and entrusting yourself to whatever you how whatever you want to call it in the 12 step program they call it the higher power but uh, we're careful not to name all that we even call it Buddha but you know they see you should wash out your mouth with soap if you use the word Buddha I don't know what it is that's faith that blind faith I don't know but I give myself to it anyway so Zazen is um, for me uh, offering myself to the universe so how do I how do I do that well uh, you do it completely if you're going to offer yourself you might as well do it completely so we sit up straight lift up your sternum <laughs> put your hands in the mood put your head on top of your spine relax your shoulders and sit without trying to get anywhere So Muman has a verse, and he says, um, Kyogen, the star of the story, is just babbling nonsense. So this is the, the way that, you know, that the commentator always talks about the hero. So he's just babbling nonsense. His poisonous intentions are limitless. He stops up the monk's mouths, making his whole body a demon eye. So, he's giving everybody a problem. Giving everybody a problem. Well, uh, Kyogen is famous. You know, he was um, a student of Master Isan, who was also a well-known Zen master. Kyogen, uh, Isan, Kyozan, and Kyogen were three... Uh, Kyogen and Kyozan were Isan's students, and there are several stories about them. Um, but uh, Kyogen was a scholar, and he studied with Isan. He was also a Zen student, of course. But he was very erudite and depended a lot on his study and on his understanding. And uh, one day he came to Isan and Isan gave him uh, a, a koan. He said, what is your original face before your parents were born? And Kyogen looked up all, <laughs> he went through all his literature, he couldn't find an answer. So he said, I'm, I, I, I'm a failure and I'm going to just go and find my way. So he left Isan, and he went to uh, the shrine of uh, one of the old patriarchs, and he devoted himself to just taking care of that shrine. And one day he was sweeping the ground, and that's what he was doing mostly, just kind of cleaning up, and a piece of uh, a little stone 
he had a piece of dry bamboo and went, and he woke up. It opened his mind. It's a very famous story. And so, in some sense, he's reiterating his experience with this koan. He's saying, I did not, I didn't know what to do. So I just did something menial. I just forgot all about wanting anything. I had given up wanting anything. And I was just devoting my life to doing this, giving myself over to this menial task, which was important for him. But he didn't expect anything. And then, bing, he woke up. So this is called dana. Dana has nothing to do with money, although we, you know, dana means giving. It means giving yourself over completely. <coughs> we have six paramitas. Six. The first one is dana, which um, uh, is the most important one. I mean, it, not only does it mean giving, it means giving up. Generosity, if, if you give money, you know, you just give and forget. Oh, I did that? I don't remember. Usually we have a string, you know. <laughs> I gave you this, so I expect that. That's not pure activity. So dana, it, it means pure activity. Giving, you know, if you give money and you feel that you're owed something, it's okay. But it's not pure activity. Mostly, we expect something. When you walk down the street and there's the guy, you know, says, hey buddy, you know, can you spare a dime? <laughs> you just give him the money. Because, no, he's going to get drink, you know, he's going to get dope or with the money. That, that string's attached. Just give him the money. It doesn't matter. You're just transferring one thing to somebody else. So circulation, actually, is the name of the game. When money circulates, the, the society is healthy. When it doesn't circulate, it's uh, cancerous. So the, the, the country's limping along because all the money's going into this guy's coffers and none of it's circulating enough to keep us healthy. So because everybody wants something, just give and forget. It's okay to look, but <laughs> so <clears throat> mindfulness is in the center. Mindfulness faith, 
effort, mindfulness, uh, concentration, and wisdom. Mindfulness is, uh, you have a mindfulness practice, right? We don't have a mindfulness practice. In Zen, we don't have a, I think I did all right. We don't have a mindfulness practice, but everything we do is mindful. So we don't call it mindfulness practice. Mindfulness is one of the aspects of practice. Uh, there's mindfulness, there's um, uh, um, all these other factors, but none of them stand out as the most important. So mindfulness is, is always um, associated with every wholesome state of mind. There's a question, is mindfulness, whoops, is mindfulness associated with unwholesome states of mind? Well, I don't know. Can you hear me? I don't know. But um, when I think about it, mindfulness um, is, doesn't have any intentions. So it's not good or bad. It's, it's not one, I don't think it's one of those dharmas that's either good or bad or has any um, connotations. It simply has a function. And its function is to re-mind. There's a practice called the practice of recollection which is a mindfulness practice. Uh, always coming back to, the, to where you are, which um, Gil was talking about. Always, and what uh, Max was talking about, always coming back to the present moment. Never, we stray all the time. Straying is, is um, an important practice for human beings. Straying is an important practice because if we didn't stray, we couldn't come back. And we wouldn't need mindfulness. <laughs> so, uh, but it's the ingredient that keeps everything together. It's like the string that runs through all of the others. And its only purpose is to create order and balance. That's why it's in the middle. We have the, it's the fulcrum, the, te the teeter-totter, you know, of the others is always doing this. But mindfulness is always steady, steadily there in the middle. So uh, we call it continuous practice. Mindfulness is, is actually continuous practice. And continuous practice means there is no gap in practice. So, um, faith, which is my subject today, is, means continuous practice. means that when, when faith is strengthened um, by uh, uh, effort, and by um, samadhi, 
or concentration. Concentration is important, but um, it needs to have uh, energy or effort um, to balance it because concentration has a tendency for uh, sloth. If it's left to its own devices, if it doesn't have support, concentration um, can become... Uh, did you ever smoke pot? No. Well, you have great concentration, but it's not supported by anything. And so it's just dreaming, right? So concentration can just kind of fall into dreaming. And it needs mindfulness and, and energy to support it so that it goes in the right direction and doesn't get caught by its own infatuation. So it, it's, it's really easy to concentrate and get off on all kinds of infatuated dreams. Um, but concentration in this case is samadhi. Samadhi, um, the association of concentration with, with samadhi is that it leads to spiritual practice. That's its direction. There's the samadhi of a skier, you know, who's going down the hill and totally one with the activity, right? It's a kind of samadhi because it's just totally doing one thing. Body-mind uh, is totally involved with, you know, the thing, but it's not exactly samadhi. It resembles samadhi, but samadhi is um, uh, directed toward Buddhist understanding or Buddhist practice, Buddhist uh, truth. So there are many, many samadhis in Buddhism. There's a whole book of samadhis, different kinds of samadhis. There's a komyozo zamai, which is samadhi of radiant light. And then there's jijuyu zamai, samai means samadhi, which is a samadhi of self-enjoyment uh, uh, self or self-realization um, and uh, encouraging others in that realization. You practice for your um, uh, own, um, there's this understanding of, do I practice for myself or do I practice for others? Right? So samadhi is um, directly touching. It's like intuition. Samadhi is intuition. It's directly touching. And so you receive something, and then you pass it on. That's jijiyu samai. You receive and you pass it on. And you're simply the um, a recipient, but you don't hang on to anything. Um, Uh, samadhi is totally practicing in the present, moment by moment. That's called concentration. It's also um, uh, 
um, coat not straying. So when you sit, you sit in samadhi. All of us sit in samadhi when we sit zazen, when we sit this way. So that, that um, because you're not trying to get anything. If you're trying to get smarter or more, more um, uh, to gain something, it's not samadhi, exactly. Samadhi is when you're just doing it for no reason other than just doing it. And then the universe sits samadhi with you. It's not a exactly personal practice. So we say, we don't do it for my sake, we don't do it for your sake. We just do it for the sake of itself. Of itself. Then there's no no ego in it. And when there's no ego in it, that's samadhi. So samadhi is concentration without self-centeredness. Self-centeredness is what divides. Self-centeredness is the discriminator. Discrimination means to divide. That's what it means. So we discriminate this and that. We discriminate the book from the podium, you know. But they're really one thing but our mind discriminates them and says, this is this and this is that. And then we identify them and then we give them names. We create our world out of discrimination. Discrimination is not bad, but it still is discrimination. <laughs> it can be really bad, but it's not necessarily bad. It just means that you dis uh, distinguish one thing from another. But because we're always distinguishing one thing from another, we don't see how it's all one piece. That's the problem. So when we sit, we see that it's all one piece. Hopefully. I mean, whether we see it or not, it's all one piece. So we don't try to stop the thoughts going through our mind. That's discriminating. We just let the thoughts come and go. When you read the book, it says, stop all the thoughts going on in your mind. But that doesn't mean that you should, should, should stop. You should stop thinking, but you shouldn't stop the thoughts from going through your mind. <laughs> you can't stop it. No, it's a flood. It's like a torrent. You, and you try to stop it. I tell people, you, you should wait, you know, wait and see if you can tell when the thought starts to arise in your mind for one second and then pretty after five minutes you realize oh I was supposed to watch for the thought but I challenge you to do that to just you know you can't stop it you just let it go the problem is you do, when you try to stop the thoughts going through your mind you're discriminating because you're saying I want this to happen it shouldn't be happening my mind should not have any thoughts going through it. That's like, you know, putting your palm up against Yosemite Falls. <laughs> Doesn't work. So, enjoy the thoughts. That's radical. Um, 
way to, to think about it. Don't blame yourself. Problem, one of the biggest problems we have, you know, is blaming ourselves for, excuse me for being alive. Excuse me for my thoughts. So, to actually have our freedom means to let things alone. Don't mess with it. You sitting zazen, the body sitting zazen. Body and mind are not two different things. Body sitting zazen, mind is sitting zazen. Thoughts are coming, bubbling through, bubbling up all the time. But you just let them come and go. My old teacher used to say, let the thoughts come and go. Let them come in, but don't serve them tea. In other words, don't entertain them. They're just passing through. I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> during the winter sometimes, the ants will come in, you know, and, and crawl across the sink, you know, along the drain board and the thing. And the first thing you want to do is, oh, let's get rid of the ants. But if you stop, you know, keep things fairly clean, the ants, they have a trail, they're going somewhere, you know. It's their road. They just happen to pass through your territory. You don't have to get rid of them. <laughs> you can, and they can entertain you, you know. <laughs> Sometimes they get in the garbage, but that's your problem. <laughs> so we let the thoughts come through like little ants, right? But uh, you have other things to do, you know, like posture. That's why posture is so important. You have some place to come back to. You have a place to entertain your mind, which is keeping your posture and watching your breath, following your breath. Following your breath. And if you can do that, then each thought is zazen. Because you're not excluding it. You're including it, but you're not getting caught by it. And well, there's this thought. Then it goes by. Oh, and there's this thought. You might, and then there's the thought of sasen. The thought, oh, yeah, posture, breathing. Oh, that's an interesting thought. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> so everything is included in your big mind. Small mind wants to exclude. But big mind includes everything. Good things, bad things, you know, pleasure, pain. Everything is included, but nothing is attached to. And when you can do this, faith just naturally arises. So it's 4.55, and I'm going to stop at 5. Do you have any questions? I'm going to go on for five. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I have a very Western idea about, about what faith means. Sure. When I think of faith, I think of faith, I think of faith in something. And I hope this isn't impertinent, but faith in what? Yes, that's it. <laughs> faith in what 
is not a is not a question. You have faith in what is the statement. You always want we always want to name everything. Don't name it. Refrain from naming. Faith in what? I have faith in what? We also say, my teacher always said, faith in, I have faith in nothing. Which doesn't mean that he didn't have faith in anything. <laughs> I have faith in no thing. So, yes, faith in what? I have faith in what? Just faith. That's it. That's why it's blind. Uh, we have another koan, which is when you uh, climb up to the top of a hundred-foot pole, you have to step off. So this stepping off is blind. You know, I don't know where I'm going to land. None of us knows where we're going to land. We can talk about what happens after I die, you know. There's this big question, what happens after? Nobody knows. But with a lot of speculation. And especially in Buddhism, there's a lot of speculation. And formulas, and right? Maybe they're right. Maybe they're not. You don't know. So not knowing is true knowledge. What? True knowledge is I don't know. Also, I don't know is a key word to knowing. If someone asks you a question, say, I don't know. And as soon as you say, I don't know, something will come up because you've cleared your mind. When you say, I don't know, truthfully, you, your mind becomes open and clear and then something will come up. Oh yeah, and I know I know. Try that. It almost always works. Can you explain the relationship between faith and effort? I don't see how Faith and effort, yeah. Well, if you're climbing up a mountain and you're having a hard time, you know, but you continue, you know. And you just can, you, and you, you, I'm not going to make it, you know. Am I? Can I make it? Can I? And that which propels you is effort, but the effort bring forth, brings forth the faith that you can make it. You say, "I can make it." That's faith, but it's the it's the effort that's supporting that faith. So that I think that's to me. Yes. Patience is everything. <laughs> but patience doesn't mean waiting for something. Patience means being present. The hardest thing to do is to be where you are. <laughs> because presence keeps changing all the time. Here I am, but I'm not there anymore. Because everything's changed. Even though it doesn't look like it's changed, it has. Everything. This moment 
is not the same moment as when I was talking to you. So patience is to be present on each moment as it changes. And to realize, you can't, you know, there are so many incremental changes that you can't possibly uh, keep up with them. But our attitude is to have patience, is to be where we are and to just be there totally and completely. And then the next moment, because we live in increments of time, even though it looks like it's all one piece, it's like a movie with a, uh, uh, on the film, there it's increments of movement. So, and those are moments of time. And each one of those is where we need to be. And when you're, when you're really where you need to be, <laughs> And accept that, whatever it is, that's um, patience. So, Kyogen's man up a tree, you know, he can't, he can't, if he um, doesn't open his mouth, he fails. And if he does open his mouth, he falls. And he has to be present in that moment of decision. That's being, that's uh, patience. Patience is like when you have to make a split-second decision and you do it with total patience, calmness of mind, faith. 501. Thank you.